0: Hey, welcome to the MUNMUKB podcast, Stories of Stigma, where we speak up about South Asian mental health with professionals and those with lived experiences of mental illness. Today we're going to speak with Anita with who will tell us a little bit about her own experience with mental illness with her family and she took away from it um, for the rest of us to learn something. Hey, Anita, how are you
1: doing? I'm doing well, Abby. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: Thank you for being here for being willing to share. To start, I'd like to actually ask you to tell us a bit about your family. As you remember the dynamics of it before, mental illness was a part of it.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, i be happy to. So, my family, um, we're of Cindy background. So, my father and mother, um, their roots are in Karachi. Um, But their families survived partition. So my dad's side grew up in Mumbai and my mom grew up in Delhi. Um, And then they had an arranged marriage in the 70s. My dad and his siblings had come to the U.S. like the 60s and 70s. And he got his schooling in the U.S. And then eventually went back to India got married. Um, And then we settled first in New York and then in Pennsylvania. So I was born in Delhi, actually, I stayed there for a few years, and then grew up in uh, PA about an hour outside of Pittsburgh, and uh, my brother was born uh, in 1986, and he was born in Pittsburgh, so um, so we grew up in like a small small town, I mean, we'd go to Pittsburgh a lot because that was the only place where they had things to do, mainly. Um, but and my, my dad would work Pittsburgh, and then he started working um, closer to home as well. So, um, yeah, and then um, you know, shortly, shortly after my brother was born, so like in the '90s, my mom was actually diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia, and um, you know, it was uh, kind of challenging after that, but. Um, but I do want to give you, you know, that, that was kind of the the dynamics that I grew up in and, um, she was medicated off and on. Um, she did get, had a, had a longer stint when I was very young at a psychiatric hospital when they had diagnosed her. So, um, I don't really remember that too much, but I do remember being gone for a substantial period of time. So... Um, and then I started to learn more and more about her illness as I got older, but, you know, at the time I didn't really know too much of what was going on.
0: God, and I have to ask about Pittsburgh, because it's the one thing I remember vividly about it, but how many times did your parents take you to that temple, the famous temple that's there? Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, the JV temple, as we call it. Um, we went a few times, and then when I was older, we'd, we'd go a few more times, um, you know, my dad's parents were very, very religious. And then my dad, sort of, due to various things that happened in his life, sort of got away from religion. I mean, I, and, and we can talk about that later, but I think that was one of the effects of everything that sort of happened. Um, but as far as that temple, yeah, we, we did go a few times. I, I personally didn't see what was so great about it, but we always heard so much about, about yeah. that
0: place. You know, we used—I mean, we used to travel from Texas to Pittsburgh just to go to this temple, and I would Mm -hmm. never understand as a kid, like, Oh not Pittsburgh again!" Like, not this. (laughs) Right. Right. I have bad memories of going to that place.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I always heard that from people. They were like, "Oh, what about that temple?" And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool temple, but other than that, you know, know, (laughs) so
0: you mentioned that you know as you were growing up, you you started to understand a bit more about what your mother was dealing with with the schizophrenia. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like when you when you started to understand that and how you reacted?
1: Yeah, sure. So there's kind of several dynamics. Um, one, we we grew up in an area that was all white. So um, I felt already felt very different, and you know people would comment. My mom would wear every day, so people will comment on that, and the language barrier, uh, you know. So there was that whole being different aspect. And then um, my mom, I mean, sometimes there was, you know, she had certain things that, like, were not normal. So um, she'd get diagnosed, and then she was on medication. Sometimes medication would work. Sometimes she wouldn't take it. So, I mean, there was all of that going on. Um, there was a lot of arguments with my parents between each other. So it was just kind of, you know, but so that was kind of in the background. Um, but my family really wouldn't talk much about it. And so like, we would still do normal things. We'd go on family vacations. My relatives really wouldn't talk about it. Um, so we had my dad's brother live nearby. Um, and then we had some family in Jersey on my dad's side. Um, the one thing that was very noticeable was that my mom's side, we never had contact with them, You never had much communication. My mom would write letters to India, and she wouldn't get responses. <clears throat> so, I mean, as I got older, I kind of felt bad, because, I mean, I didn't know anything about my mom's side of the family. Like, where were they? And I know she was trying to reach out to them, and so, I don't know, there was, there was that aspect to it as well. Um and then, you know, you'd see medication and the cabinets and, you know, and then she'd have doctor's appointments, uh, things like that. So I was starting to get to know that, like, you know, these things were were going on. Um, you know, when she was not well, she'd call the police. She'd get paranoid. So there sometimes there would be police at the house. Um, and I'd be really, like, embarrassed, like, what's going on? We lived in a small town, so... Um, right. so, you know, there were these very like embarrassing moments growing up and just kind of didn't know how to handle it cause you already are different and now there's all this too. So,
0: yeah, yeah. It, 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 it sounds like stigma kind of played out on two levels for you. there. one of just being a, somewhat different in a small town, in small town America and the other of. Dealing with the stigma specific to your South Asian family and, and the broader community that your family co- belonged to. What was it like in terms of talking about your mother's illness to people, both in, you know, small town America as well as with the with the people in your family? Um, and did you use like did you talk about it in different ways with with those two kinds with those two sets of people?
1: Um. Did I... I think so, um, yeah, well, with people around, so my dad would always describe it as, you know, she had postpartum depression and and things like that, I think he didn't want to say she was schizophrenic, he only used that term around us, he like never would use that in front of other people, um, and that was only later on too, so um, I think that was just his way of, Dealing with it, I I mean, I think at some point he was a little, I don't want to say embarrassed, but, I mean, you just feel the judgment of people, and it just ended up being such a dirty word, for lack of a better term. Sure. And um, I think around the family, the family sort of knew that she wasn't, you know, well, but, I mean, my mom still was pretty... When, when, when the medication was properly diagnosed and, and things were going well, well, she was fine. Um, you know, we would still do normal things and she didn't work and she didn't drive, but she helped with the cooking and the household chores and did the groceries. So, I mean, she was still living a, a stable life. It was, um, there was just up and down moments throughout. And the other thing that was kind of interesting, she she was diabetic, but that also had gone undiagnosed for for a number of years. I'm not sure why. And so she always had these stomach issues. And, and so once that was finally diagnosed, you know, so a lot of things had, had come into play there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I really talked about it outside to many people. So, you know, I would just come home, do stuff at home, play with my brother. So... It wasn't something that was avidly talked about, maybe until I was a little bit older. And then I just kind of said, you know, she's just had some problems, and I don't think I really was very open about it either, so.
0: Yeah. Do you you think the way that things went in terms of um, how you were able to handle it or how it was treated by your family, do you think how different would it have been if y'all were still living in India? What do you think was better or worse about dealing with that while being in America?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think in India the stigma is so much worse, and I think you know I've seen a few documentaries and facilities and things like that. Um, not that you know that's that might be a little bit overgeneralizing, but it seems that Indians are just very judgmental, and the way my My mom's side, the family's in India, most, or at that time most of them were, Um, and just the way they handled it it was so harsh, and it could have been worse, say she didn't get married and her symptoms, you know, weren't treated, maybe they would have sent her to an institution or institutionalized her or something, you know, and then she would have never had children or or done anything, Um, so... So, I don't know, it's just kind of a scary thought to think if, if she was in India. And just the medical, I think at least medically, she was seeing a doctor regularly here. I I still don't think the situation with her um, medication and stuff was the best in Pennsylvania, but it wasn't terrible either. Um, but that said, I think it would have been worse in India.
0: So, Right. I think that's really important what you said about everything you said about your, your mom and how she lives with her illness, it, it, it seems like she you know, she manages it, right? Like, better or worse, like she's able to go about her normal daily of life, do um, things while still taking the medication that she needs and being able to um, do what she needs to do, right? And yeah, it's yeah. very scary, it's a very scary thought to think that if she was in a different environment, um, she wouldn't have been given that opportunity maybe to live the normal life that she had while having a mental illness, you know? And I think it's important to realize that even for illnesses like schizophrenia, which we automatically assign, like, a, you know, a more serious, like, nature to, um, it doesn't mean that people can't, you know, can't still live normal lives with the help of medication and support, uh, both professionally and um, personally within their families. Yeah, I mean, that's just very true, at
1: least for that that part of time, I mean, her memory was intact and, and things were good. So, I mean, later on, so she she did have a, a mild stroke. And so now she's got dementia, some some early onset dementia and things like that. But those are illnesses that came afterwards, right? So um, it does compound her current her state of mind now where she does need a lot more care. But growing up, she was able to do things and remember things and you know things like that so yeah you're out uh, you're absolutely right there
0: and you, you it's been a while now that you have lived with your mom's illness and cared for her as well how do you talk to people about your mother now um, now that you're a little bit more used to it and a little bit older uh
1: yeah that's a good question i mean i think um because she's 65 now um I mean I've told people like yeah she's got you know dementia and and things like that so people just associate all of that as one thing but um I said you know she's also had mental illness but it's been stable for the most part and um I mean I I guess that's how I I talk about it Uh, she still has sometimes behavioral issues which is associated with one of the two um if she's not regularly taking her medicine, the problem now is she doesn't regularly take her medicine, so someone has to be there to make sure she takes it, gives it to her, so... Um, but I think most people probably don't really realize that she has a problem, um, you know, so... It's, it's not something that you see someone and say, oh, they have a mental illness, you can't really just tell right away unless they have some behavioral issues, so, you know... Um, she's met all my friends. I mean, um, so my dad, my father passed away a few years ago, and so now, um, she actually lives with me here in D.C., and she's met all my friends. She's hang- she hangs out with them sometimes, so, I mean, now we're just kind of more comfortable, and I'm a little bit more open about it, and, um, yeah, so that's kind of how our routine's been. Yeah.
0: When, I guess when, when she does meet your friends, or when people are meeting uh, you both, coming over to your place maybe for first times, they're not too used to it. How do they preach the subject of mental illness with you and your mother? What are, what, are those interact- what are those interactions like?
1: Um, I think now people are a lot more understanding, honestly. Um, I don't think they realize what schizophrenia is. I mean, I still sometimes have hesitation to tell people about it myself and that's something I've had to overcome um but you know I mean sometimes you do get you know well is she okay I'm like yeah she's fine I mean up and down moments and up and down days and um or they'll just talk to me as if as if she's not there like you ask her she's right there you know so um so there's stuff like that but I think, I think people are understanding, but I think that's more related to her being her age and, and people, you know, just associate... To, to be honest, in this society, people associate older people with having illnesses, and I don't think they realize that, you know, she's had to deal with this um, more most of her life. But, you know, I, I usually don't get into that type of history with everyone, so...
0: Right. Yeah. If you... Could, could give advice to people as to um, how to carry on these conversations or like if you could tell people like what they should say when they meet you for the first time or like meet your mom for the first time like what would you tell them to say how how, how, to, how could they best be caring and with their language
1: yeah no that's that's a great question um, I think I think it's just about being you know aware and just being sensitive to, to the fact, So I'm uh, just having direct engagement and, and, and being friendly. Um, what I've noticed is that uh, I'll have a conversation with people, and my mom will be there, and they'll just kind of just have the conversation with me. And, and so my, I guess my advice is just always include the other, that person, because um, it just, you know, people get scared of people with disabilities, and they don't want to, like, I, I've seen it enough times where they don't feel 100 percent comfortable to directly engage, but I think that's the best way is just treating that person like just like you or I, just have a direct conversation and keep them engaged. And, uh, and my mom responded really well to that, so I have one or two friends that are really good about that, and they always like keep her engaged and into the conversation and ask her about things. And and that's the thing when. When people have disabilities, they often feel isolated, and then that makes their conditions worse. So, kind of not, you know, having that person feel isolated or lonely, things like that. That's what I've noticed really helps when you, you know, don't do that. I guess so.
0: I think that's. I think it's really important advice, and you know, in some ways, it's it's crazy because. What you're telling what you're telling people right now is you know just don't just treat this person like they're a regular human being like talk to them and make sure they're included in the conversation and it's funny that you know we have to re, we have to reinforce that to people and tell them to do that with when dealing with those that have mental illness but you know, it should be and that should be common sense right um, and it, it's unfortunate that it's not but uh, I am glad that you're able to. I'm glad that you're able to you'd be able to tell people that right now because I think it I think it's important for us to remember not to treat those with mental illness as some sort of other. They're just like us, you know. Uh. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. And I will say, like, it's not all roses. I mean, she does get moody and sometimes acts out, but I have to tell myself I just have to be patient, and you know, these things do happen. And you do have to develop a thick skin sometimes. But that's if you're, you know, living with the person, you see them regularly, or you know, if she gets cranky, it happens. just kind of have to let that roll off your back or something, you know?
0: Right, right. And so we talked about advice you have for how people can speak to you and, and your mother to, better, to be more caring. But what advice would you have for people on actually caring for someone with
1: schizophrenia yeah um, that's a good good point um I guess so schizophrenia I never really knew much about it and um, I think I still could learn could benefit from even learning more about it but I think we often see it you know framed in the news or in the movie sometimes as being this violent you know disease and the truth is, a lot of people with schizophrenia aren't violent, or only out of fear at certain moments. But most of the time, they're not violent, especially if they've been treated. Um, so I would say it's best to just get the best care. Um, I think going to doctors and going to more than one, and going to places that specialize in it. Um, unfortunately, I think like the doctors, we we've got we had gone to doctors growing up and. You know, so for some, it was just mm, different medications, different medications, and not giving us much detail on, you know, symptoms and what can we do to make her better outside of medication and things like that. Um, you know, sometimes we're not readily provided or how to care for somebody, you know, just throwing, throwing medication at the problem is not always a fix. And one of the things I had learned is, you know, someone who's medicated on who's schizophrenic, and this might be true for other mental illness, they get used to the medicine after a while, so you do have to change it. Um, and every few years, sometimes that can be an issue. So, um, so we had that happen a few times. And then, um, the medication she's been on for a while now, it's it's been really great, and it's, it's helped a lot. Um, so, it helps they like, calm her down, and you know, and reduces hallucinations and things like that, um, to have something like that is just kind of scary if you think about it, um, so schizophrenia is basically dealing with hallucinations or voices, um, that your brain, you know, perceives are actually there, so, um, so dealing with that can just be very scary if you're not on the right medication or know how to deal with that, so putting yourself in that person's shoes is another thing, um. So yeah, I think I think it's a combination of that. But yeah, if you're not satisfied with your medical professional, definitely go elsewhere as well. So.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for giving us some very practical advice, and also thank you for being willing to share all that with us. I know that none of that is easy. Um, I want to want to switch topics now and talk a bit about someone else in your family. Um, you could tell us a bit about your brother. What was he like as a person, and what was yeah. it like? What? How did how did things change when those elements came into the picture?
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for um, bringing that up. Um, so my brother is five years younger than me, and um, yeah, he just a you know normal kid. So we used to fight all the time. But I remember when he was born. And, you know, it's a typical older sibling, younger sibling rivalry. And um, I ended up being the big sister that like took care of him. You know, we were always told to always stick to each other. And so we kind of always did stick to each other and, um, you know, fought, but we were always close growing up and, um, you know, always stuck up for him. And, um, you know, went to see him in the school play, you know, encouraged him to do things. And he was very smart, um, straight A student. Um, had, well, with an with so his name, as I told you, my grandparents are very religious. So my grandparents named him. So his name was Prabhu. So Prabhu in Hinduism means God. And it's a difficult name in, when you're in a small town. Sure. Uh, yeah, of non-Indians, so we often called him PJ. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, because yeah, he, he hated his name because it was just so different, and at first he wanted to be called Chris, and that wasn't happening, so...
0: He wanted to be called Chris?
1: Yeah, Chris.
0: <laughs> I mean, it would have been a, it's a great Starbucks name, yeah. Yeah,
1: right. Um, but yeah, um, so... Um, I mean, things were just, like, normal, and he, he had gone to, he was a very smart kid, but he wasn't sure about school, so he had gone to do an associate's degree, and I convinced him, you know, you should just get a bachelor's, you only have two more years, and so he transferred into a four-year university, where he just had to complete two more years, and he was going to get, like, a, a bachelor's in business or something, and, uh, yeah, after, maybe six months into his first year. So this was the first time he lived off campus. I mean, sorry, it's the first time he lived out of home and he was living on campus, but he would still come home every weekend because school was only like an an hour away. And, um, you know, I remember he had complained of like headaches. Um, So he was a diabetic too. So the interesting thing is I got a lot of my dad's traits genetically, and uh, my brother ended up getting a lot of my mom's traits. So, yeah, it was just kind of weird how that happened. But um, he was diagnosed as diabetic when he was like seven. Um, So, he dealt with that for most of his teenage years. At this point, he was about 19, and he had a reaction with his diabetes and he had gone to the hospital, but that was the first time in, you know, eight plus years that he had something like that happen. And then, um, and then uh, I'm trying to think here. Um, Yeah. He had complained of headaches and, and a lot of fatigue and some other problems. So he had a doctor and I actually remember calling the doctor's office and trying to like talk to them about this and, and, and seeing if, you know, there was more to it. I didn't, I don't remember getting much of a response at that point, and then the the holidays had come around Christmas time, Um, but then it was very interesting, all of a sudden, his persona just changed, we would talk on the phone all the time, Um, you know, talk about school, He was very dedicated to school, and he liked to party, he had friends, so he wasn't like a super book nerd type, I mean, he was social as well, Um, yeah. And it was just completely changed. Like, he didn't... When I, when I noticed the red flag was when he didn't want to go to school. And that's when I knew, like, something's wrong. And my dad would tell me, like, look, he's locked himself in his room. I don't know what to do. So, we'd come... Hum- my uncle's a doctor. We'd call him. I mean, family coming to the house, trying to talk to him. And, and nothing seemed to work. But his drastic change in mood was just crazy. Um So, not to belabor everything, but, you know, literally this happened in January, and then, you know, one day in March, um, my brother had taken his his life, and it was just a devastating shock to all of us because we didn't know something like that could happen, one, that quickly, and we also didn't know he was thinking about anything even close to that, right? Um, Anything, this is a boy who, like, never hurt himself or never had any injuries he didn't really play sports other than basketball so to be able to hurt yourself in a physical way that you would you know lose your own life is just kind of it's, it's not something easy to do and for someone to just do that like that when you had no idea that that was even in their mind uh yeah it sort of just changed everyone's lives you know forever so
0: sure, of course Thank you again for being willing to share that. It can't be easy. Do you think back and wish that you could have done anything differently when you when you saw those signs or anything along those lines?
1: Yeah, I mean, we all see those cheesy commercials. Like, yeah, I don't know what to do, and call this number, and you find out. Yeah, we we didn't know what to do. I wish. Um, one thing I didn't mention was that. In hindsight, I looked back, and there was signs around that time period, not before that, but I would say around those six months, nine months, uh, when he was transferring to this new school, where he would say really strange things. And I remember in the car, and he said something, like, that didn't really make sense, like, the school was out to get him. And I thought he was joking, because he joked around a lot. And he was dead serious. And then in my mind, I was like, what's going on and um you know i tried to ask him about it later and he said he was just joking and he denied it and then uh you know he was even seeing a a counselor from time to time because uh we we thought the adjustment to school was tough so we had recommended he see a school counselor i mean we thought we were doing everything right um you know what more could you do at that point um when when he wouldn't answer his phone and, and stuff, because I would call him, he wouldn't answer his phone. You know, if I thought he was in trouble, I'd sometimes panic and leave messages. And he'd eventually call and be like, look, I'm fine. Why are you overreacting? So then you feel like, oh, well, why am I overreacting? He's fine. He's just a teenager and he's just adjusting to life. So in um, his friends i guess had more insight cuz you know at that point you just wasn't telling us what was going on it was literally the last couple months where you were just kind of tearing your hair out because you don't know what to do at that point point. and so so it's very tough i would say yeah you know, obviously if anyone sees any sign of it you it's good to talk to someone about what you can do you know because that's still that's still an ongoing issue today i hear about so much Suicide in teenagers, you know, or young people in general. So, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, you know, it, it really resonates with me when you when you told the story about you know being in the car and, and talking about your brother telling you about um, the school being out to get him and stuff. You, you know, I started on because I I lost my best friend to uh, mental illness, and what mm-hmm. he dealt with as well was. Um, schizophrenic tendencies and I specifically remember you know not he, he would tell me like oh you know your so-and-so other friend said this to me and he mistreated me and blah blah and I, I you know I didn't realize what was going on at the time so I, I took his, his story that these things that he had made up and and said like oh you know this is this is wrong like you're just trying to mistreat me and my friends, like, you can't just make up stuff, but, you know, create drama or things like that, right? And, mm. you know, so many days I just wonder, like, how things might have gone differently if I had approached that situation with a lot more maturity, right? And just said, you know, what is it, what is it that he's actually saying and, and why and what do I need to do about it? Um, but I think, you know, like you said, it's, you know, it's not easy and sometimes you, when you, when you think you see the signs and, and you, you um, when you try to act upon it you might get different reactions from those you're trying to help so um, but I think I hope everyone listening realizes that you know it's just a matter of trying to make things out early and do what you can to help the person in the way that they need it right yeah I want to ask I want to ask your brother obviously didn't speak up about what he was dealing with as much as as much as, whatever, as, much as he, you wanted him to. Um, do you think this silence was because of stigma? or do you think it was because of hope that you know one day he things would get better and he could put all of this behind him and he wouldn't have to worry you guys so much?
1: yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, it was hard to tell. I mean, his his roommate gave a really telling sign, so his roommate had told us that, you know, my brother had talked about my mom and, and the issues, the mental Ill issues that my mom had, apparently, which was really eye-opening because I didn't know he had talked to many people about it. And I think he felt that um, when he saw the signs in himself that the hardships my mom had, he may have to deal with as well. Um, I think he had wrote on his My There's a MySpace survey that he had filled out and at some point shared it on MySpace, those were the MySpace days, and I had not known about this until after we, he just said, I'm sorry I failed, my family, and so, like, all these things were sort of coming out afterwards, right, and... It's hard when it's afterwards and not during, so you can put the pieces together earlier. Um, but I guess he felt like he got this illness, and that, and he had failed somehow, and a lot of it was just overwhelming. His friend had said it was hard for him to manage his diabetes, because he couldn't go out and party. You drink beers, that's a lot of sugar. Um, I mean, he yeah. had the diabetes where you had to really, like, watch and take insulin, um, so that's that's hard when you're younger. and I think it was just a lot of things that were just overwhelming to him and at a young age like that. Um he was worried about finances. you know we were paying for school, but we were taking loans as well. and um, I think it was just a variety of things that people deal with now, but when you have mental illness on top of that, you're not thinking one hundred percent rationally either and Um, so it's just, I felt like it was just a combination of that and he didn't speak up because probably the stigma, I don't know if it was because he thought he would get better or not. I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions, so, So, yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't even want to believe that he would really do that and then, uh, you know, I remember looking at my home computer, uh. And I I saw that he had, like, in the search history, had researched it. And after I saw that, I mean, it was heartbreaking. But then I knew, like, he definitely did this of his own volition. Um, You know, whether he was thinking rationally or not, I mean, I don't think he was, obviously. It just seemed like he was in a lot of pain. And that's how he thought he could escape the pain, perhaps.
0: Where do you think your brother is now?
1: Um, I mean, I like to think that he's, his spirit's moved on and he still watches over us from time to time, um, you know, and and he's in a better place. He's not feeling any pain. Um, so, I mean, they say in Hinduism you re- reincarnate into something else, but I don't know, I, I still think in some capacity, <laughs> maybe whether in another form or not, he's still watching over us somehow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I want to move away now from the stories you've told. And again, um, it takes a lot. So I think we all appreciate just being able to hear your perspectives to better inform all of us to know how we can treat people that are dealing with mental illness in our family or our loved ones in general. But to talk about things in a more general aspect, you know, I think people tend to have a lot of empathy for depression, right? Because depression as opposed to other states of mind or mental illnesses. but Because on, on some level, we might understand depression, whether this is correct or not, as a kind of sadness, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you think people can understand schizophrenia better? And what did you learn about it in the process?
1: Well, I think... Um... Other people are starting to understand other illnesses, like bipolar. And um, schizophrenia doesn't always come in, like, you know, the standard package. It affects everyone a little differently. But, I mean, you make a fair point because, I mean, honestly, I never really heard much about it otherwise. You know, otherwise, from dealing with it, my family, um, it was just very rarely talked about. My family on my mom's side we we actually recently did reconnect with them um a few years ago and even they still don't know what schizophrenia is or they don't seem to know or they don't seem to understand it and um everybody just blankets it over as it oh it's this disease or you know you're mentally unstable my mom graduated college Mm -hmm. my mom is smart so i think unfortunately sometimes you see the stigma of it's associated with being not intelligent and that's not true either. So very intelligent people with decent IQs and, you know, she speaks multiple languages. I mean, so there's, you see all these like various stigmas associated with it. And, um, I mean, it's just like, it's just like I would compare it to bipolar disorder, you know, mood swings. And I mean, the one thing that does make it different is I think the hallucinations and, you know, voices that you hear that aren't there. Um, And what some of the medication tends to do is sort of numb it and make those receptors um, slow down so that, you know, you do get, there's a lot of side effects. There's still no perfect cure. And there's still no real real reason of why people get it other than genetics. I mean, I haven't, the studies are still not there. Um, The science, I think, is still not there, or I don't really know too much of the new stuff that's out but um i think it's just looking at it as it's not a one size fits all that affects everybody a little differently so some can be violent and some folks cannot be violent at all and um it just it just depends on every person really so i, I think that's the biggest thing i took away from it and um, yeah, with certain medications do help, and certain medications don't, and it affects the medications also affect everyone differently too. So, so it, yeah, yes, that's, that's it. So hopefully that's yeah. good answers.
0: I, I I think it's a great answer, uh, <laughs> I, I, and again, I, I think it's like it's one of those things, right, that we talked about before. It it should be common sense for people to look at these things on a spectrum, to look at it, to look at each person's case uniquely and figure out how illness is manifested in them and how to best treat it. But you know, again, we like to categorize mm-hmm. things. We like to treat things as like um, monoliths when, when they're really not, right? Like this is each individual person dealing with it in their own way and it's and it's important to recognize that. Um, right,
1: but, right.
0: You know, apart from apart from all this and uh, you know how you can take care of other people better and how to be more sensitive to other people. It's important now that I ask you, how did you take care of yourself? Did you see any psychiatrists or or therapists in general during this process? And what did they do well?
1: Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, You know, I learned that therapy is a good thing. And my dad, I think from dealing with all of this, um, I mean, he lost faith in religion and he was just always so angry. And, um, and he, and the other thing was he wanted to handle everything himself. Um, so there was all this stubbornness and, you know, we had told him you should talk to somebody, you should see therapy. It's not a bad thing, but he'd grown up in such an environment that, you know, in India that this was all considered bad. If you went to a doctor, even though his, his wife had to go to a doctor, he just didn't want to do it. He just didn't want to see therapy. And I think that affected him. So Um, I think for me, I knew I was a lot more self-aware, um, because of all this. So after my mom, I mean, yeah, sorry. After my brother had passed, um, it, it was just really, really a lot for me to handle given how close I was to him and everything and a lot of emotions that I couldn't process. So I saw a therapist for about a year and a half and I went to her every week and, um, it really helped. I mean, I can't express how much it helped, because I'm not sure how I would have been able to just cope with my feelings and and deal with everything. Um, my, my father also had passed a few years ago, and the trauma wasn't as significant then, but I did see someone for a short period of time through work, um, and then, you know, I think we had talked about this before, you know, work had I work for the government, and the first thing that came through budget cuts was, you know, the mental illness help. So, sure. um, they had told me, you know, we can't see you anymore, but you can go through your insurance, and and do it that way. So, um, but I, I felt I felt good after, you know, a few sessions of that and and things like that. But I think everyone's different, though. It's just being self-aware, and you know, I have a great group of friends that are like family, and. You know, I have support networks, and I and I know myself. I need to kind of be surrounded by by people I can talk to or share things with. And if it gets to a point where it's more than that, then I will go see a therapist or find someone to talk to if if I do feel the need. I'm not ashamed about that. I think it's a very healthy thing, even if you haven't gone through all this stuff. I think it's just something that people should always be open to.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I do want to highlight what you said about, the the benefits of, the, the mental health benefits going away for you as, as a federal government employee but, you know at times it seems like this these things we talk about and what's going on in, in the current political climate are be weighing hard on the mental health of some of us and the reality of it is that it ref, it affects the actual reality of seeking care for some people who work for the government, and that's something I think that we should just keep in mind in terms of what resources are available and what's being taken away. Um, but in these therapists that you did see, do you think that they specifically handled the your South Asian context well, or what could they have done better with that?
1: Yeah, well, oddly enough, um, the therapist I saw after my brother passed, she was... Uh, and, and I didn't seek out anyone to, who was healthy, and I just went to whoever uh, my insurance had covered at that time, and she was half Indian, so she she just happened to be half Indian, and uh, she she was very uh, understanding. I didn't know at first, but then she, she had told me, I mean, she looked like she could have been, but a lot of people do, so... Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, and she she was very understanding. But she also kind of said to me, like, you know, it's it's actually pretty common. Un unfortunately these things are more common than people would realize and she didn't get into too much detail but um she 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 very much understood and and sort of the thing with therapy is they can't get into too much storytelling, but they do try to, you know, to help you understand the process of what you're feeling and, and just try to make you talk more by digging out personal questions. So, so I think she, she was very yeah, empathetic to the South Asian dynamic and the stigma and always having to, you know, for me to be honest, this podcast is the first time I'm I'm being this open with the entire story because I always still put it into pieces because I still feel the stigma too. So Sure. You know, it's, it's still hard to say to, you know, to people that all of this happened, and it's stigma, but it's also, I don't want everyone to feel bad for me, you know, so it's a combination of, of that, but then you still want people to be empathetic, so, so it's a hard thing to sort of open up on all those levels, yeah.
0: What things did your family find joy in when things got difficult, and, Where do you go for joy now?
1: So, yeah, growing up and even after um, my brother had passed, we spent family time together. But, yeah, we always had taken random road trips, vacations. Um, I went with my mom and dad in 2010 on a cross-country road trip. And I'm glad I did that because... I mean, that's one of the things my dad wanted to do with me as an adult. And and we went to all these national parks. So, you know, we had a great time. And, you know, I'm glad I did that before he passed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's just about being together in a, in the right environment. Or we'd go see Bollywood movies. I mean, Indian, Indian movies were a big thing growing up. And uh, when they'd be in the theaters in the more recent times... I mean, those are always fun. So, you know, kind of things that, like, probably a lot of other South Asian parents do with their kids, you know, pack up, take some samosas on the road. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. That's yeah. A, exactly. For, those are the best I, kind of road trips.
1: Yeah, exactly. So so things, things like that. I mean, my parents were the reason I kind of held it together after my brother had passed, and I didn't want them to you know, feel the loneliness or you know, I didn't want them to deal with anything with me, so I just had to kinda of focus on them and that kinda of got me through it myself. Um,
0: so so I guess that's it. What about what about now when you go for joy, do you think?
1: Um yeah, I mean I think it's it's very important to have a strong support network. But I, I just focus on you know, goals in my life, things I've never done before, things I want to do, my professional career. I try to focus on just not taking for granted a lot of things. And, you know, a lot of people go through a lot of bad things in this world. It's just kind of how you move on from that. And so just surrounding myself with really good people, taking out the toxic people out of my life and, and, you know, trying to... Yeah, just focus on the positive, which which can be challenging at times, but, you know, it's it's a learned thing, and I think I'm pretty good at that now. Um, you know, I go out with my friends or spend the holidays with, with my mom doing things that we like to do. So, um, you know, traveling traveling helps as well. So just a variety of things like that.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, I um, I, I like what you said about um, removing the toxic aspects of your life or people from your life as well because you know, that's something I think we often don't think about but yeah, it's, it's important to surround yourself with positivity and, and make sure that uh, people who are supposed to be there for you are reinforcing that and helping you care for yourself. Well, um, I think this has been just incredibly, incredibly resourceful for people. Anita, so thank you so much for everything that you shared. I think the way that you've been able to talk about it um, so openly and honestly here with us is uh, I'm really grateful that you could do that and that you could impart so much useful advice to people as to how to take care of loved ones and how to react when you see mental illness become a part of your family dynamic and the reality of that. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no, thanks Avi and, uh, Mon I'm, I'm really glad that, uh an organization like, like you guys exist because I think it's really helping doing a lot more than what I could do. It's it's bringing other people together as well. And, um, and I'm, I'm just happy to, to be a part of that. So, so thank you and look forward to hearing more podcasts.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to tell everyone just to make clear, like, Anita specifically reached out to us to ask to, like, tell her story. And I think this is so important of, like, the example she sets by even wanting to come out with this and tell people that this is what she went through so that she can help the community by sharing her story, which is exactly what Mamoukbi believes in and exactly the point of doing this podcast. So um, again, thank you, for, thank you for doing that and hopefully uh, we're able to improve some people's lives today. Thanks to our guests, Anita Ousmani, our team, me, Abi. Shema and Amit and you, our listeners be sure to like, comment and subscribe and get in touch with your own thoughts comments or guests that you believe could help break the stigma. or get in touch yourself like Anita did and tell us why you want to tell your story and how it can help you visit us at Unlookly.org or on social media at Me. I'm Abhi with the Unlookly Podcast Stories of Stigma and we'll see you next time